This year, SVODs switched strategy, YouTube pumped up premium, Disney consolidated its position, and the streaming king weathered a storm of competition. Listen on for the top 10 streaming video stories of 2023. This week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and Colin Dixon from Endscreen Media is with me for our final podcast of 2023. Right, Colin? I think this is one of my favorite podcasts of the year, Will. I get to go through all the things we've talked about through the year, and I don't know, it's just really great to go back and think about all the things that have happened in the year and put them in perspective. So, that's what we're going to try and do today in the podcast, I guess, as we usually do. Yep, with our top 10 stories, and we're going to count them down, of course, from number 10, as we always do. And we uh, acknowledge up front, and our listeners always uh, know from our prior year's top 10 countdowns, that the list is not comprehensive, and there are lots of really important things happening in the industry. Just These are just our opinion about what the top 10 are. So with that, why don't you go ahead and get us started? I will. And just a note, you know, let us know uh, what you think we missed and why you think we should have included it in our top 10. We'd love to hear from you as always. Okay, so my number 10, Will, is the rise of the smart TV. Now, this is I guess this is something that's really been a slow burn. It's been becoming more important over the last few years and We've gotten to a point now, I think, where the smart TV is really in the driving seat of the connected TV experience over streaming sticks and boxes. So I pulled some data from our good friend Bruce Leishman, and he's been tracking that progress. And basically, if you look back in 2018, the penetration of connected TVs was 74%. But, the, but it was really shared pretty evenly between smart TVs and connected, excuse me, connected smart TVs and connected TV devices like streaming sticks and boxes. Well, fast forward to this year, 2023, penetration has grown to 88%. That's a 14% increase over that uh, six to seven year period. But now smart TVs are in 74% of homes and streaming sticks and dongles are 62%. And they're really starting to be very, very significant in a couple of ways in the streaming TV infrastructure. So the first is that they are really driving usage. Um, And what one of the ways we see that is some great hub data that says that one third of people use built in smart TV apps as their default default. TV service. And this has really been one of the big changes, I think, since 2018. Pretty much every single smart TV now comes with a built-in fast service, uh, with one with one exception, and that's Apple TV. Uh, but that's only, of course, available in, in a box. And it, it really shows the power of the smart TV to direct people to those built-in services. So, You know, it really does prove the power of the platform, the smart TV platform. Uh, And they're also earning a ton of money. Roku expects to, I expect Roku to earn over $3 billion from their 
platform business. That's the TVOS business. Vizio is going to come in about 600 million, I think, from their TVOS uh, uh, smartwatch business. Uh, so really, the rise of the smart TV, it's here. It's driving connected TV now. Absolutely. I don't even know. Can you buy a non-smart TV any longer, Colin? So you can. It's just really hard to find them, Will. Uh, pretty much. I think I saw data showing about 75 to 80 percent of TVs sold in the U.S. are now smart. There's no reason why that won't go to 100 percent over over time. Yeah, it's hard to believe there's a reason to buy a non-smart TV anymore. <laughs> yeah, I can't <laughs> you're, you're, find one. If you're in the market. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's go ahead and move on. Um, I'm taking number nine, which we agreed are, were the uh, the strikes, both the actor's uh, strike and the writer's strike. The writer's strike lasted almost five months, 148 days. That tied for the second longest writer's strike in history. The actor's strike lasted almost four months, 118 days. Uh, both were um, ultimately resolved with uh, new three-year deals, but not before billions of dollars um, was lost, uh, were lost in the industry. And, um, you know, one of the biggest uh, kind of bones of contention was artificial intelligence. And, it's really such a new and evolving technology that it felt like it was hard for the parties to figure out, you know, what they should be agreeing to, what kind of guardrails they should be putting around AI. And I think they ultimately came to some language that they uh, all felt comfortable with. And um, I was reviewing it earlier. I think that uh, it, you know, it's probably a good starting place, but no doubt is going to be revised even further um, as we go forward in AI. The, the various ways that AI can be used uh, continue to uh, be better understood. So the, um, the strikes were a big part of the uh, 2023 story and number nine on our list. It was indeed. And of course, it propelled Netflix to issue these the viewing report that they put out last week which was yep. just which we talked about on the podcast which is a tre treasure trove of information and if you haven't downloaded and t taken a look at it you probably should so yeah that was i think that was a big deal and you know i could be wrong but i think the previous actors strike or writers maybe it was the writers strike you have to go all the way back to the 90s for that for that was a long one as well, I think. Came between season one and season two of The Next Generation. That's why I remember it. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, absolutely. I think I think we should move on to number eight. Number eight is for me is the TVOS Wars. Boy, has this gotten ever more competitive this space. This year we saw new entrants from TiVo. TiVo launched their TVOS. Actually, I think they launched it at the end of last year and they shipped their first TVs in Europe uh, uh, under the JVC brand, I believe. But we also saw Zumo enter the market in, in seriousness. And in fact, I think we talked about that on the podcast last week. They started shipping Zumo boxes in Comcast Network and I think they've started shipping them in charters network as well and we also saw vizio do something that i've been recommending they do for a couple of years but they have resisted so far and that is 
they're going to be licensing their smartwatch TVOS uh, to other providers. Um, I took a look at this market and in some some detail and I actually have a class coming out early next year so people might want to check my website on this but uh, I tried to tot up how much money these guys are earning and in 2022 I reckon they earned something between five and seven billion dollars from their TVOS's in the US market which was about 14 percent of streaming revenue so they're pulling in pretty decent revenue and having an ever bigger impact on the delivery of streaming TV services, particularly on smaller providers who don't have the negotiating power of the big guys. Uh, So this is a space that I think you're going to continue to have to watch very closely in 2024. Yep, completely agree, Colin. And uh, as you just said, as we know, the the ability to control the OS that the um, viewer is uh, accessing their various apps on is really such a powerful position to be in it sure is really really powerful okay so that's number eight what's number seven so right let's go on to number seven and this is uh, connected to the others that we've already mentioned but one of my favorite topics as um, listeners know connected tv advertising had another solid year Uh, e-marketers estimates about 25 billion dollars in the u.s in 2023 they see a couple of hours per day now being viewed through connected TVs and streaming versus three hours per day for linear and other forms. Connected TV, of course, as we've talked about so many times, is so powerful because it marries the best of traditional TVs, sight, sound, and motion with the best of digital advertising's uh, targetability, interactive, interactivity, um, measurability, and you know, really being able to customize the ads. So a lot of running room still to go. And I thought that one of the kind of highlights or exciting points of the year for connected TV advertising is what Amazon did on Black Friday with their NFL, their first Black Friday NFL uh, stream. And um, all of the ads for Amazon products during that football game all included QR codes. And I think that's a, you know, we've seen QR codes in lots of other ads. We certainly saw them during the Super Bowl. But I think the way that Amazon embraced them and others continue to embrace QR codes and other forms of interactivity show how connected TV advertising can broaden from uh, being primarily a branding or reach uh, opportunity, which is what you know traditional TV ads have always been, to being one that is uh, interactive and customizable. So I think we're going to see more of that as we go forward. But in the meantime, in a year that was challenging for advertising, CTV continued to roll along. Yeah, you mentioned Amazon and those uh, TNA, uh, Thursday night football ads i play scrabble on my phone with family members over in the uk and oh i am so tired of seeing ads in that scrabble game for thursday night (laughs) football there was another thing that uh, also that maybe we should just mention and that is that really the tv in some respects is becoming a billboard Uh, amazon has shifted its policy on advertising in interface they've made a whole bunch of new avails available in the interface itself so you can advertise in the carousels you can advertise pretty much any product you want in that hero bar at the top 
they've introduced pause ads they've introduced they're introducing ads for all prime video viewers in 2024 so that's a space i think that you can continue to see you you will continue to see amazon and other tvos providers really pushing the boat out in absolutely go on and take us to number six con well number six is this is possibly stating the obvious but traditional tv continues to collapse around around us this year, we saw a record shattered uh, between Q3 2021 and 2022. Q3 2022, cable, satellite, and telco TV services lost about 10% of their subscribers. Well, in Q3 22 to Q3 23, the decline has grown to 13%, with the industry losing nearly 9 million subscribers in that period. Penetration has fallen to 45.2%. That's 59 million U.S. homes. And, you know, 10 years ago, the penetration was 88%, Will. So it's now 45%. I fully expect it to fall much more. To some extent, the virtual MVPDs have sort of been making up for things. Over that same period, the Q3 2022 to 2023, they gained 2.7 to sort of offset some of that 8.8 million. But that still means people watching the cable bundle dropped 6 million in the last year. And only 58% of homes now have access to some sort of cable TV bundle. So tough year this year, and it isn't going to get any easier, I think, um, one of the items to come that we will discuss, I think, is going to have a really significant and uh, even more deleterious effect on traditional pay TV in 2024. Yeah, I think that's right, Colin. We actually have a couple of items coming, I think, that demonstrate how challenging it's going to be for uh, traditional TV going forward. But let's, um, let's go ahead and move on to number five, which is my item. And that is uh, that Disney acquired the remaining part of Hulu that it uh, did not own from Comcast for about $8 billion. And there's going to be an additional payment still to come. And this is, uh, I, I think, very significant because um, Hulu's ownership structure with multiple parent companies has, I think, always served as kind of kind of been awkward for Hulu and with various um, corporate agendas at work and how much distribution um, Hulu got. It's always, I think, been a, a difficult kind of dance that Hulu's executives had to balance with the various parents. And so I think this really this first time in Hulu's history that it's going to have a single owner is significant for the company. The combined offering between Disney Plus and Hulu, which we talked about just a couple of weeks ago, the tab, the Hulu tab has now already been added to the Disney Plus UI. Um, that combined uh, content offering, I think, makes it a much stronger play to, to consumers. And um, I think also really helps Disney in terms of its uh, direct to consumer strategy, which has been, um, you know, they've made a ton of progress, but have sort of stalled out a little bit. So I think Hulu gives them a nice jump start. And I think it's significant also for Hulu. And it's, I think, going to be a positive for viewers. 
I, I totally agree. I think the combination is probably a, a very good thing. Um, I think I've mentioned before on the podcast that personally, Disney Plus doesn't really mean very much to me. But the ridiculous thing is that it really only costs me $2 if I stay in the Disney Duo because the Disney Duo without ads is $19.99 and Hulu without ads on its own is $17.99. So the question I have to ask myself is, will I get $2 worth of usage out and the and the truth is i probably will watch one two or three movies a year on disney plus i think the strategy is going to work well i it makes me always sad to say it but i think it's a strong strategy to combine the two and yeah i think we'll see it do reasonably well in 2024 the only reservation i have is the fact that uh, disney has been diligently removing content from Disney Plus and I think from Hulu uh, and actually has cut its budget for creating new content. And I think that could see it rather sort of stay in place, the penetration of both services to sort of stay in place in 2024. Um, I don't think that's a recipe for growth. I think that's a recipe for saving money. And I'm yeah. not sure that that's going to be terribly helpful for them in the long run, but that's their strategy. So we have to see how that, that goes. Yeah, I think that's right. And actually, I'll throw one other complicating factor in the mix also, which is it's never been entirely clear what Hulu's rights are to distribute its uh, the content that it has internationally. And that's been a big limiting factor for Hulu's growth. And now that Disney is, um, you know, going to be is is the sole owner, uh, I think we'll see that rationalized. But it's just not clear what they can, how far they can extend Hulu's content internationally. We'll wait and see. That's a very good point, Will. When you think about it, NBC obviously wasn't licensing international rights to Hulu, only only U.S. rights. But now the Comcast has sort of backed out. We'll probably see a whole bunch of NBCU content vanish from Hulu. The rights get much clearer. Disney owns most of the rights for the Fox content, for the the Hulu original content, for the ABC content that's appearing in that app. So you could be right. We could see things move forward internationally with Hulu in the new year. Let's go on to number four. Number four is YouTube. YouTube continues to make progress towards its goal of being a one-stop shop. Uh, Back in Q1 2023, Philip Schindler, who's SVP and CBO of Google, he said that uh, of YouTube, he said the goal is to be a one-stop shop for multiple types of video content across both ad-supported and premium services. And I've got to tell you, they have really delivered this, Will. So penetration in CTV homes, according to Comscore, is 71% of people are now watching YouTube, not well, and YouTube TV, on connected TVs in their home. Uh, So that's pretty good. And only just behind Netflix, I know, which is 74% penetration. So that's very strong. Um, They launched... uh, uh, when did they launch? I think they launched primetime channels in late 2022. Yes, that's right. And primetime channels is their SVOD aggregation play. So through primetime channels, you can what you can subscribe to Paramount Plus, Stars, AMC Plus, and I think 40 or 40 or so other services. 
Well, they added uh, Max to that list this this actually just last month or just earlier this month rather so they're really beginning to get a pretty good selection of content available in 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 primetime channels so to some extent they have the SVOD area covered although they do not have Netflix Disney Plus Hulu or Amazon Prime uh, but then again really none of the big aggregation services have those four either do they have Apple TV, uh, TV either, Colin? I can't um, recall. I don't think they have Apple TV Plus yeah. either, as, as yeah. well. So, those are missing. Those are missing there. But uh, you know, as I say, the other aggregation services really don't have those either. Uh, YouTube TV is now. I, I, well, I'm expecting it to be the fourth largest in the U.S. Fourth, fourth largest paid traditional paid t- television provider. Or or MVPD by the end of 2023. Lifeman Research estimates it has 6.5 million subscribers, putting it just behind Dish at 6.7. And I think it will probably eclipse Dish by the end of the year. DirecTV is is estimated at 12, Charter 14.4 and Comcast 14.5 million. So it's really not that far behind it is also doing uh, doing very well. It's also a favorite among pay television operators that are bowing out of the pay TV business. Wide Open West, WOW, uh, which is a small operator, announced that they were shuttering their pay TV service and directing, directing customers to use YouTube TV on their broadband. So that's very strong for YouTube TV. One of the hidden benefits, if you've not checked this out, you really should. Uh, they have a rotating set of premium movies and TV shows which are available. Uh, I checked out for this month and I found Tombstone, Black Swan, The Fifth Element, and TV shows like Hell's Kitchen and Top Chef. So there's a whole bunch of stuff there. So they have free premium TV movies and and TV shows. You can also rent or buy movies right there inside of YouTube. And it is YouTube Movies and Shows is the third biggest TVOD shop. Google Play Movies and TV is the fifth. So between the two of them, they're the second biggest. Um, So really, YouTube now has every business model represented inside of it. Free, pay, rent, buy, whatever you want to do, you can do it inside of YouTube. And I think for an increasing number of people... It can literally be a one-stop shop for content. You can go there, you can search and find things to watch, you can rent, you can subscribe to and manage everything all there. And if other providers aren't paying a lot of attention to YouTube, they better. Those are all great points, Colin. And you know, we've talked about YouTube TV many times in the podcast. I've been a subscriber for, I think, almost since the beginning, since the original launch. I uh, recall fondly paying just $35 a month for the service. Now I'm paying $73 a month, but it is, a, I think, a great product. And I think one other one that in the YouTube portfolio worth mentioning is YouTube Shorts, which has done really well. Also jumping in to compete with TikTok and YouTube, of course, remains a juggernaut when it comes to the creator economy and working with influencers and uh, helping democratize content creation and uh, monetization. So 
absolutely all all great points that you made about YouTube. Yeah, yeah, and for me and, and my partner, we spend a lot of time watching those creators on TV. So anyway, that's probably enough about YouTube. What's number three? Yeah, so let's move on to number three. This is, we're calling sort of SVOD's drive for profitability, but um, you know, we all know that uh, SVOD providers have been under intense financial pressure. For many years, the uh, goal was really growth and creating as much content as possible. Over the last couple of years, the um, goal has changed to trying to be profitable, and that has come uh, with a bunch of different strategies. One is the uh, launch of ad-supported tiers, and we've seen that, of course, from Netflix, Max, Amazon um, is going to be including ads in all of its uh, prime video content. And um, I think that that has helped the SVOD providers to broaden out their uh, appeal and offer lower prices to consumers that are subscribing to a bunch of different services and, um, you know, maybe start to cut back in the name of uh, budget, budgeting control. And so, Ad supported is important. I think really the only service that doesn't now offer an ad supported tier is Apple TV Plus. Um, the other thing that we've seen, of course, a major strategy by the SVODs is to raise prices. We've seen price increases, I think, from every service in 2023. We've also seen um, selected cases of reducing content budgets. And yet another strategy, which we just talked about on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, is the rise of uh, different SVOD services being bundled. And the primary rationale there is to try to uh, reduce churn and uh, increase lifetime value and do that in exchange for taking a little bit less money for the, uh, for the underlying subscription. So I think we're going to see more of that as we go into the new year as well. But the SVOD industry um, is still challenged financially, and it's um, there are uh, you know parent companies like Warner Brothers Discovery that are challenged financially at a corporate level and um, simply have to get uh, the profitability of the um, SVOD services up. So that's a I think a major trend that we've seen across the industry. Yeah, and certainly something we're going to see uh, drag into 2024, and that'll be the big test. I think Disney's committed to be profitable in 2024, so we'll see if they can get there with their D2C services, and they're certainly making lots of changes. As you say, bundles, this is, uh, this is something that I think we're going to see a lot more of in 2024. The interesting thing here is it's not just a question of SVOD services bundling with SVOD services. These guys, uh, I think they're finding creative ways to partner with associated member programs like we have Paramount Plus. Is The ad-supported Paramount Plus now is the default video service uh, for Walmart Plus subscribers, people that are in that membership program. And I think they can actually subscribe for a discount to the ad-free version. Instacart uh, has just done a deal with Peacock. So I think we're going to see a lot more of these sort of lateral deals where they're, where they're partnering with associated products and services that can help uh, increase reach. And because they're all reliant now on ads, 
It's also helping pump up the ad revenue that they're seeing because they're now bringing in people that ordinarily may not have subscribed to their service. Now they have it as a free benefit. They could well use that service and see ads. So this is going to some this is going to be something that we see run and run in 2024. Though I have to say I don't see massive bundles. That's lots and lots of SVOD services banding together in a single bundle. I think it'll be ones and twos, uh, ones one partner and two partner at most in those bundles going forward. But um, definitely something that we'll see a lot more of in 2024. I think that's right. And onwards to number two. Well, this has to be sports migration to online. This has been a huge theme this year. It has been something that has been building, I think, over the last couple of years. Uh, Until recently, of course, sports has been the sort of bulwark of traditional cable television. You really had to have a some sort of big bundle TV channel package in order to be able to watch your local local uh, team on the regional sports network or the premium sports on um, you know some of the main sports channels like ESPN and and your your local broadcast channel. Well, that really is not the case anymore. You can pretty much watch everything you want to. You can stream it now. It's not necessarily easy, but you can do it. Um, so it's all available. Of course, we saw the collapse of Diamond Sports at the beginning of year. Diamond filed for bankruptcy, Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in March. They handle 40 teams from the MLB, NHL and NBA. And uh, we just heard that uh, there's a rumor now that they are in negotiations with Amazon uh, to help it come out of bankruptcy. And the likely outcome there seems to be the general consensus seems to be that Amazon could end up with the streaming rights while Diamond continues to provide to the traditional pay TV providers in that TV bundle package. Other RSNs that have disappeared have resulted in some uh, some teams going direct to consumer and ESN. And yes, both have streaming services are going and are going direct to their customers in those regions and we're also seeing other teams do the same but some of them also mixing in partnerships with local broadcasters doing both streaming and working with local broadcasters Um, either way uh, if you if you don't want to have a virtual MVPD or traditional pay tv subscription it is no longer a barrier to you watching your favorite team. And we mentioned YouTube. Of course, NFL Sunday Ticket went to YouTube and uh, by all accounts is doing a pretty decent job with the with the subscription for this football season. Yeah, and I'll also add, Colin, that we're going to see, excuse me, as next year unfolds, we're going to see the NBA negotiation for uh, negotiating for its new media rights deal. And from what's been said so far, it looks like both ESPN and TNT are going to cap how much they're willing to spend on that deal and therefore open uh, the door for some other services to come in, streaming services to come in, likely uh, Amazon, YouTube, possibly Netflix, who knows, Apple. 
um, to come in and get a piece of the NBA rights deal. So that's that's going to represent yet another step in the migration that you've uh, that you just described. You bet. Well, I think it's time for us to unveil our number one story of the year, Will, and you get the honors. Yeah, so number one is that um, Netflix remains the king of SVOD, um, having a really pretty, a really quite stellar year in 2023. And um, obviously, we've talked about Netflix many times on the podcast, but uh, if you look at just their pure subscriber growth, in the first three quarters of 2023, they added 16.4 million subscribers. And that was up from 1.24 million in 2022. Now, admittedly, um, Netflix's subscribers uh, count has been uh, influenced greatly by the pandemic and what's happened um, since. So the numbers are a little bit unfair to judge by. But uh, at the same time, there were several moves that Netflix made in 2023 that I think really has helped its uh, subscriber growth and certainly helped its profitability. And, and first, I should note that of that 16.4 million, all but about 3 million or so in the first three quarters of uh, 23 came from outside of the UCAN region, the United States and Canada region. So most of that is global growth. But, you know, as Netflix reported, has reported, the uh, password sharing revision that they uh, began executed in 23 seems to have gone extremely well. And of course, we all know that this is the idea that viewers or subscribers rather have in the past been able to share their passwords pretty widely without any repercussion from Netflix. In fact, Netflix was very supportive of subscribers doing that um, until it wasn't, <laughs> which was this year. And the idea was that the quote unquote borrowers, the password borrowers, would have to begin their own subscriptions to Netflix. And it seems like that's happened pretty well and there's been low churn as a result. So that's helped the numbers. And the other thing that's helped the numbers, which we talked about a few minutes ago, is the rollout of the ad-supported tier, the lower-priced ad-supported tier, which seems to have added millions of, of new subscribers as well. Um, last but not least is that Netflix is now benefiting from the other studios licensing their shows to Netflix. This was something that stopped some time ago as those studios launched their own uh, streaming services and wanted to have their own content. But now because of various financial pressures, they're back to licensing um, some uh, marquee shows and movies to Netflix. So Disney, Paramount, Universal, Warner Brothers, HBO have all uh, been licensing to Netflix again. And I've noticed just from HBO shows like Six Feet Under, Band of Brothers, Ballers now showing up on Netflix. At the same time, Netflix does not license any of its originals out to any of its competitors. So it's really a, a kind of a one-way relationship at this point. And I think Netflix is benefiting. Netflix has the viewer data to know what types of shows and movies will be popular for its uh, subscribers. And that helps inform it how much to pay to license these shows. And in turn, the service gets that much stronger. And a material reason for this happening, again, is the financial necessity that the, some of these other studios are under. Uh, because they're still lagging Netflix in terms of their uh, profitability and streaming. So 
Um, Netflix stock is back up to about $500 a share. Wall Street seems to be enamored with it again. And by all financial metrics, Netflix had a very strong 2023 and looks poised to have another strong year in, in 24. Yeah, I particularly enjoyed what Ted Sarandos, who's co-CEO of Netflix, had to say about its success with licensed content. And he, he went on to say, we can't make everything, but we can help you find just about anything. And I think that's one of the things that really came over to me in the release of that data, that they of their viewing data was it really showed that I think Netflix does a superb job of helping people find something interesting to watch in the library. I think you, it, you know, when you, when you look at the uh, usage, the amount of the library that the average user uses, uh, I think it's probably much higher inside of Netflix. They may not make the greatest shows, but they make and provide shows that people want to watch and they can reliably come in to Netflix and they'll find something and I think that's the secret to the company's success and they continue to execute extremely well and uh, the only other thing I want to say is we both thought that paid sharing would be a big success and I think data really proves that it has so I think we're going to see a lot more services taking that that approach in 2024 as, as well. But anyway, that's it. That's our top 10 list, Will. That is our top 10 list. And uh, listeners, we hope that you've enjoyed our thoughts on the most important stories of 2023. As Colin said before, leave us a comment, send us an email, let us know what you thought. And we'll be interested in seeing how well we resonated with uh, our choices resonated with what you thought was most important. That's it. And yeah, I just want to say the same. Happy, happy holidays. Happy New Year. And we'll be back in 2024. Okay. Thanks everyone for listening. And again, happy holidays. And we will see you in a couple of weeks. Inside the Stream is a production of InScreen Media and Video News, all rights reserved.